family matters, the church. Um, I've learned in life that we're all created with a longing for belonging, a longing to fit in. We're like this giant puzzle piece, right? We fit somewhere, but until we find that place, we feel empty. We feel like we don't belong. We, we feel like inadequate. See, deep down inside, we all have a desire to be more than just another person in the room, but we really want to belong to a group of people. You say, that's not true, that's not true. I think it starts even as little kids, right? As we're in kids, we want to be a part of a friend group. As we grow up, I see this with teenagers. They want to be popular, not for the status, but for the friendship group, right? There's a longing, and see, God himself identified this need from the very beginning of time in Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 18, it says the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat from the fruit of every tree in the garden. We're not going to talk about this morning, except the tree of knowledge and good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And this is what I want you to get. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, okay, I want you to read it with me. This one statement. It is not good for the man to be alone. Now listen, I know he creates Eve here, but it transfers, right? It's more than that. I will make him a helper who's just right for him. And in verse 18, this is the first time in the Bible that God has a negative assessment of an otherwise excellent creation. Why? Because God did not mean for Adam just to be weird and wander around and talk to the animals like Dr. Doolittle. God longed for him to have companionship and eventually friendship, right? And I'm very aware that that scripture is the creation of Eve, but the man cannot fulfill his created purpose alone. He can't do it. He can't be complete, and God says something's wrong. This is the first time in the Bible where God sets the alarm off and said, there's something wrong here. The author of Hebrews expressed, expressed our de desperate need for belonging with each other in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, when he says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So from Hebrews, from Genesis to Hebrews right here, it is God's intention for us not to do life as a hermit hanging out in a house by ourselves, but as a group of people. And so our church family is so much more than checking an attendance box and saying, hey, I made it. It's about relationships. It is about belonging, and not just belonging, but being involved in what the church does and who the church is. And so today I want to talk about the importance of a church family. The first thing I want to say is we need to wear the jersey 
not just sit on the sideline. For years and years and years, I have asked my wife, y'all know I'm a big Bama fan. I'm not going to talk much about Bama. It's more about this jersey. But I have asked my wife for what I'm about to show you. I love Alabama. I love Jesus more. Don't get me wrong. But I love Alabama. And I, and, and I have gotten the jerseys. I've got the trinkets and stuff like that. But I've asked my wife, and she thinks it's weird, and I'll tell you why in a minute, to have a jersey because I, you know, there's one thing to have a jersey of a team. There's another thing to have your name on the back of it. Right? Now, I pay, we paid, Sarah paid for this. For Christmas. This was my Christmas gift this year. I've asked for this for years. But in real life, the only way you get one of these with your name on the back is what? Be part of the team. You have to earn it. I didn't earn it, obviously. <laughs> and the church body needs one of us not to just be a spectator. We don't need just spectators, but we need to be on the field of life. There's a huge difference between fans and players, right? I'm a fan. I'm not going to lie. I love everything about Bama, but I ain't never going to step on the field with those five stars. Why? I don't want to die. Primary rule number one. Two, I ain't got what it takes to be on that field or any for that sake. I do good to do touch football and not die. <laughs> There's a difference about paying a ticket to go see the game, and there's a difference about lifting weights, doing the drills, showing up for practice, taking the hits, winning together, losing together, crying together, whining together. There's a huge difference. And the, and the same thing with the church. Some of us just want to check an attendance box when God called us to be a team that takes the world and that doesn't happen if you don't come and be a part of the team. It doesn't work. It doesn't work if you're not an active participant. See, there's something special about being on a team. When the team wins, you win. When the team loses, you feel the pain. Because you feel the pain, you learn the lessons together and grow. Uh, Pastor Gary says this, and I absolutely love it, but he said, guys, we need someone that cheers for us when we win in life, but weeps for us when we're hurting. In some of the darkest parts of my life, the church was there. In some of the happiest times of my life, even before service, people celebrating with me about some of the things God's doing in my life. I love the team. We can't exist without the team. The second thing I want to say is you're a special piece to the equation. God gave me a revelation a few years ago because when you're a minister, you see what everybody else is doing. And sometimes you start beginning to compare yourself and ask God, why are you not doing that in me? And God gave me this my image in my head. You can go to that next picture. But Billy Graham probably made a bigger effect than most of us will ever dream about. He's, got, he's ministered to millions and millions and millions and millions of people. But none of you are called to be Billy Graham. 
And God said this to me. God didn't. God said, I didn't call you to be Billy Graham. I called you to be you. And your position in the kingdom of God is essential for everyone else in life and their future. Now, I'm going to make a statement to you. You may praise Billy Graham. I do. I think he's one of the generals of the faith. I do. I think the same thing about Mother Teresa. But can I tell you something? You have the ability to reach and touch people that Billy Graham never could have. It may not be as big and as glamorous, and you may not have millions of people standing in front of you, but you never know who's sitting at your table at your house. You never know who's on that ball field, dads. You never know who you're talking to or investing in. I've noticed in my youth ministry life that no, I may not have had massive crowds in my youth room, but now I've got youth pastors that were in my youth ministry that are much bigger churches than I was. What if I didn't show up? What if I didn't invest in them? Would they be in ministry? And the same thing for you. You don't know who's sitting at your table. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13 says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one, make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we all But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. What does that mean? We all need each other's uniqueness, giftings, and abilities. Where one of us lacks, the others fill in the equation. We are the answer for each other's inadequacies. We are the missing part to somebody else's formula. You are the answer. But I don't have a pastor degree. I don't care. God gave you purpose to minister to people that me and Pastor Gary can never reach, that Billy Graham can never get in their ear. But God placed you on this planet for a reason, for people, for an atmosphere. What does that mean? Wherever you walk, that's where God placed you. Those people need you. They don't just want to have you around. They need you. Need you. My last point is don't be a gimpy leg zebra. Say it with me, everybody. Say, don't be a gimpy leg zebra. This is for you. <laughs> She's quoted me on the... Uh, yeah, I knew... Hayden Head, that's for you. See, we need each other to see the issues inside of us. I, I believe we all live in an echo chamber to some level, Right? Whether we, we all live in an echo chamber uh, where we either never see our flaws or we only see our flaws, right? We live in an echo chamber. See, we need to surround ourselves with people who can help us see both the good and the bad in our lives. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says this, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. I can see this picture in my head. If one person falls, then the other can reach out and help. And the Bible's funny sometimes, guys, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble, right? This is like a funny show, like where the epic fail show. 
<laughs> Y'all can see somebody just falling, right? Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? See, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three, or even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And God gave me this image in my head. Go to that picture of the gimpy leg zebra. I don't know if y'all ever watch National Geographic or Discovery Channel. But I like lines, okay? Lines, man, they are they are they are the uh, epic top of the top predators. And what the lines do is is they cannot attack all the zebras because the zebras together will destroy them. Are they run to as long as they're running together, there's too many for the lines to get, even though they're the greatest predator on the planet. But if what the lion does is he sits and waits for the one little baby or the one gimpy leg zebra that's hanging out by themselves at the watering hole and the lions say, all right, we're going to get him. And they usually do. Why? Because they get away from the pack. They stay away from the team. When they get away from the team, then they're vulnerable. And the same thing in your Christian walk. See, we don't need, we don't die alone. We don't have to fight our battles by ourselves. We need each other to defeat the demons and the enemies in our lives. And we can never fully do that by ourselves. You go out on your own, the lines are going to get you. They will. If you go out on your own, You will be the meal of the day. And I challenge you, the importance of the church is the ability for us to bond together, fight together, laugh together, and cry together. Pastor Gary. Philippians 2. We read this just a few weeks ago. I want to read it to you again. I'm picking up right where he left off, by the way. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing, say nothing, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, say in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interest of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now you, I just challenge you, read the rest of that because it describes the mindset of Christ Jesus and it boils down to this. He came to serve, not be served. He came to give his life to make the ultimate sacrifice for those many that were cursing and crucifying him. Yeah, he even died for them. He washed Judas's feet too. Now, what Paul was really saying was this, in my estimation. If Jesus provides all of that that we just read, then demonstrate it in your relationships with one another. Demonstrate it with each other. Because that's what he was applying this, to the way the church, the people of the church relate to one another. If the church is so vital and so impactful as Pastor Seth just demonstrated to us, 
My question is this, why does it seem to be so hard sometimes to really invest in relationships in the church? Why? Paul knew why, and here it is. I'm going to tell it to you. We're on a journey together, and we're like porcupines in a snowstorm. We keep huddling together for warmth and support, but we inevitably start sticking each other. Yeah, even Christian folks. Yeah, look at somebody beside you and say, you're incredibly human. You're incredibly human. See, here's the reality. Traveling together can be challenging. Can I hear an amen? amen. How many of you have ever been in a crowded, here you go, church van? I spent about one out of three months every year in a van full of college students. Sometimes for 18 hours at a time. And can I tell you, you get to know each other. And I'll tell you this, it's all songs and, and la, 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 here we go, we're on the road again uh, for the first hour. But then somebody's got to go to the bathroom. Somebody's, they, they, they got their headphones on, and, but your stuff's too loud. And, and, and before you know it, the longer you're in a church van with a bunch of anybody's, it don't have to be college students, the longer you're in there, the more you're going to realize the need for real sanctification. Because <laughs> you know what? It's gonna, somebody's going to rub somebody wrong. You're going to stick each other, rub each other wrong because of the very reason you just told one another a while ago. And that is we're all incredibly human. And you know what? Given enough time, given enough up close and personal rubbing and sticking and poking and prodding, somebody in a 12 or 15 people in a van, when it gets to hour eight, somebody is going to snap. I don't care how old and mature you are. Somebody is not going to like somebody's song. Even the preacher. And so, you know, we have to handle those sticks and rubs. And the way we handle them determines how we experience church. Because here's the reality. If church really is more than an event on Sunday morning, and it is. If church is more than a building, and it is so much more. If church indeed really is a relationship where we are journeying on this journey of faith together, where we cry with each other, we champion each other, we support, encourage, and even rebuke one another in love, where we confess our faults to one another and pray for one another. If that's what it really is, then we're on a journey together in close proximity and the Bible makes it clear if it hurts you, it hurts me. If it blesses you, it ought to bless me. We're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice, right? And weep with those who weep. But we can only do that if we're really in relationship. But the reality is, on this journey together, we rub each other wrong. And that's not because we're bad people. It's because why? We are incredibly human. What I want to do is give you a little recipe, some foundation stones for making this journey together and dealing with the things that rub us wrong. 
Because we can get up here and tell you how wonderful the church is, how wonderful this relationship, how essential it is. But the reality is, if you stay among us long enough, somebody going to offend you. I just hate to, if that's a newsflash, I'm sorry. Hello. For no other reason than we're all incredibly human. Even though we're loving Jesus, even though we're seeking the fullness of His Holy Spirit, even though we're doing our best to obey the Word of God, we're still human. And you know, the one that offends you might be me. Guess what? I'm incredibly human too. Called? Yes. Anointed? Yes. Obeying Jesus to the best of my ability, but I'm still human. He didn't take my humanity away from me when he called me to preach. Still human. So, what to do, what to do. Number one, we got to realize a couple of things. We're all in process. We are all in process. We are all in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Amen? If you've stopped the process, then you've stopped growing and you started dying and you started stinking. We're all in process just like your family at home is. And I, I made this statement in my notes. Church doesn't work. It just hurts when we fail to accept both our privileges and our responsibilities. You see, we're all in process. That means we're all in a state of growing and learning. But here's another truth about all of us together on this journey together, us porcupines, us incredible humans. It sounds different when I say incredible humans, don't it? Instead of incredibly human, all of us incredible humans, the truth is this, we all have privileges and responsibilities as part of this family. Every one of us. I have a responsibility to love you through your stuff. Remember, all God's children have stuff, right? I have the responsibility of loving you through your stuff. But it doesn't stop there. You have responsibility for loving each other through your stuff. And all God's children do have stuff. So we all have privileges and responsibilities. But listen, church doesn't work. It just hurts if we all don't accept both. Yes, I have the privilege of receiving your love and support and encouragement. I also have the responsibility to give you love and support and encouragement. Amen? It's a two-way street. And when I drop either one of those... Church can hurt instead of work. So we're all in process. We all have privileges and responsibilities. A lot is at stake on whether we get along well or not. Please hear me. Jesus said in John 17, the world will know that He is from the Father if we dwell together in unity. There is more at stake in whether you like that person sitting in front of you today. There's more things that are more important than just you being comfortable all the time. 
The testimony of the church of Jesus Christ is at stake on how well we love one another. Through our stuff. Because the world will look and say, my, how they love one another. And that will be the ultimate proof of our message. Do we love like Jesus loves? Ain't nobody love like Jesus loves. He's called you and me to do it. But I don't think I can. No, you can't. But the Holy Spirit can change and mold and shape you just like He can shape me. And we can. We can show this world a kind of love that works through people's stuff and keeps on supporting and praying and even sometimes having to rebuke and confront and console and all of that, just like you try to do at your house. If we all get mad and take our toys and run everywhere every time we get our feelings hurt, we'll never show that to the world. And nobody will want to be a part of that either. They can do that in the world, right? They can do that at work. They can do that at school. They can do that in the neighborhood. Get, you know, well, you hurt my feelings, so I'm going to take my toys and leave. The world's looking for somebody to prove that the love of Jesus is stronger than that. So there's three things, I think, that hold us together on this journey. Number one is mutual love. Mutual love. It says in that scripture I read, not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others also. Paul's advocating for a genuine valuing of other people. Others, others people matters. Other people's needs, other people's feelings, other people's dreams, other people's struggles. It all matters and it needs to matter enough that we consider them when we pray. We consider them when we associate. We consider them when we fellowship. We consider everyone. So well, I can't do that for all these people here. Do it for the people God puts in your path. And if everybody here will just love the five or six or ten people around you, everybody will get loved. Amen? Everybody will get served. No, I can't serve every one of you like that. It's just There's just not enough hours in the day. But if everybody will take, remember their privilege and responsibility seriously, Everybody will get loved in God's house. Everybody will. Mutual love is the basic foundational motivation where we pray for others, consider them, serve them, tolerate their struggles, and even challenge them to grow instead of making excuses for them. Yeah, that part's in the Bible too. Mutual love. Seth Martin was also one of my master's commission students. Him and his wife. We were on a trip to Arizona. And I forget what happened. Some of my kids were sick or something happened. Maybe it was when my son broke his neck. I don't know. But anyway, I had to fly back home. Yes, yes. My wife's going. No, don't talk about it. He's okay. He's okay. It didn't kill him. Ended up playing football after that, so it's okay. But here, on their way back from Phoenix, Arizona, some people in that church van... Yeah, we drove to Arizona every year just about it in a church van. And we did not stay in hotels most of the time. We just drove. One, late, one girl got sick. Seth Martin had loaned her his sleeping bag because she was having chills. 
And she got in that sleeping bag and she did more than get warm. She threw all up in his sleeping bag. Threw up. Threw up. I think he probably let go of that sleeping bag after that. I certainly hope he did. Can I tell you something? Only love overcomes other people's throw up. You hearing what I'm saying? Only love is willing to clean throw up of babies in the body of Christ. Love. Just like love changes dirty diapers. We got a lot of little babies here and we're so excited. We'll have another dedication next week. Don't, don't go into withdrawals. We're going to have another dedication next week. Nine babies in six months. We've been having some babies. Can I tell you only love will clean up somebody else's throw up. That's what makes the body of Christ different. That's what makes the people of God different. When we're willing to clean up the mess other believers have made in this church and we're willing to do it with love for their benefit as well as everybody else's benefit, when we're willing to deal with their throw up, you know we're making progress. You say, well, nothing like that ever happens here, does it? Stick around. It's costly, and it means being available in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Can I tell you what Pastor Seth was talking about? People longing for belonging. They're not looking for a church service. What I just described is what they're looking for. Somebody that'll help them clean up their vomit. Literal or figurative. And keep loving them. And challenging them not to stay there. But to grow. That's what people are really longing for. The problem is many times they don't find it when they show up at a church service. Because remember the church isn't a service. Church isn't a building. Church isn't an event. Church isn't a place. Church is a people. And can I tell you? If you're new around here, you have a part to play too. Let people love you. When they reach their hand out and introduce themselves, try to remember their name too. Just like we're trying to remember yours. Because it's a two-way street, even if you're brand new. We all have privileges Throw up is not only a proof of love, but it's sandpaper. Sandpaper from the Savior. I think it's Mary Henniger, Seth's mom, that says this, but sometimes Jesus puts sandpaper in our lives, and sometimes that sandpaper has a, has a driver's license and an ID. Brother and sister sandpaper, that's what she says. Can I tell you somebody here... We'll rub you the wrong way if you stay here long enough and you get too up close and personal. Somebody's going to rub you wrong. But it just might be God's will for you. Because you know what happens when somebody rubs us wrong? It shows us our weaknesses. 
and gives us an opportunity to grow. Sometimes it takes some other believer in the body that rubs us wrong to help us see not their flaw, but help us see our flaw in the when we have trouble responding like Jesus would. And you know what it shows me? I need to be more like Jesus. I need to love more like Jesus. I need to be more patient. I need all the fruits of the Spirit to just start blossoming because I'm struggling. No, you never do that. But anyway, me, I'm talking to me. No, really, I'm talking to you too. If we'll season that rubbing with prayer and humility, we can grow because of it. Or we can get angry and bitter and start accusing and pointing fingers as if they're the only problem and we don't grow at all. As a matter of fact, we do damage. You say, well, what's going on, pastor? You talking about all this life? I don't have any one thing in mind today. I promise. This sermon was not birthed out of a desire to go try to straighten somebody out there that's that having a conflict with each other. That is not where this is coming from. It's coming from the Word of God. And a lot of experience. The second thing that is a foundation stone for this, and I'm going to try to hurry, is humility. Paul says, in humility, value others above yourselves. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. Okay? It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Humility is slow to judge, ready to give the benefit of the doubt, and quick to forgive. Humility does that. Humility is slow to judge, quick to give benefit of the doubt to other people, and is ready to forgive and ask for forgiveness. Humility says things like this. Let me carry this with me. Humility says things like this. I don't know it all. I can't do it all. I need you. I need your giftings. You see things I don't see. Your way might be better than mine. I don't deserve to have my way all the time. Humility says those kinds of things. How can we get along on this journey and display the love of Jesus to this world? Mutual love and humility of heart. As Rick Warren would say in the, what is it? The uh, uh, purpose-driven life? It ain't about you. If you'll come to church here and, and come join us, worship with your church, as you begin to get rubbed wrong, if you'll just remember, it ain't about me. I'm here to serve somebody. I'm here to love somebody in Jesus' name. I'm here to experience God and help other people experience God. If you come and gather with the church to do that, it will transform your attitude about people around you. Because you know what? Here's my prayer, that people continue coming in these doors that don't know squat about Jesus. And they learn by watching us. That's my desire is that people will come in and they will feel and sense and see and hear and experience the love of God in action. 
The third thing, and I'll be almost done, and I'm going to give you a challenge. I know, it's 12 o'clock. Common vision. You know, as we were riding in that church van around the country, if about four or five of those students decided they were going to to Washington, D.C., but we were going to Phoenix, Arizona, there'd be a problem, Mission Control. Right? We're all in the same van. We need to be all going in the same direction, aiming for the same goal. And can I tell you, in that little group of... We lived together. I mean, eight hours a day, even when we were at home. But when we were on the road, it was 24-7 together. Slept in the same room, used the same showers, you know, rode in the same van, all of that. If we didn't all have a common goal in mind, that thing would have fell apart. We had to have a common vision for what we were about or it would, it would just come unhinged. In reality, none of us can achieve God's goal for ourselves or our church alone. This is why some of you were here back in January when we had 21 days of prayer and there was a card on your seat and that card had seven prayer priorities. Number five prayer priority that God put in my heart to pray for this church on an ongoing basis is this. Pray for unity that is made of a mutual love, humility, and a common vision. So I've preached that fifth prayer priority today. But now we're gonna, we need to respond this morning. Yeah, I know what time it is, but we still need to respond. Because can I tell you, the way we respond to this message today will have everything in the world to do with what kind of impact this church will make on this community. The way we respond this morning will have everything to do in how blessed the people that engage us as part of this body, how blessed they will be and how much they will grow. How we respond to this, these truths we've shared. This is not just a rah-rah speech. This isn't just a unity speech. This is a mandate from heaven. And as I was praying for this service yesterday, standing right here on this pulpit, just me and Jesus, I felt like the Spirit of God said to me, if you will take a step towards engaging other people in this body in love, He will take a new step towards you. Here's what we got. I got threefold cords, knotted on one end, loose on the other end. We are knotted together by the blood of Jesus if you're a believer. But it's up to you and me to begin to weave the other end, these loose ends of these strings. It's up to us to weave our lives together in such a way that everyone is loved, everyone is championed, everyone is held accountable, everyone takes responsibility seriously, and everyone takes the privileges of being part of this body seriously. It's up to our obedience to weave the other end of this cord together. Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm just going to make this simple because I know some of you are ready to walk out the door. I get it. But I want to tell you, I just beg you not to do it, not for another minute or two. If you're willing just to make one new step, because a lot of you, you're connecting with many people in this body. You're giving yourself to connecting you. You're doing it already. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking everybody that's willing to take one new step at engaging other people in this church. It may be through a life group. Go out there and sign up. That may be your one step. It may be coming to Sunday school at 9.30 every Sunday morning. That's a small group too. 
It may be you make a commitment to come to the men's meeting third Monday night of every month or the women's meeting second Monday night. That's another way to engage people. Some of you are doing all of those four things already. I'm asking you to take one more new step. So you may not be engaged in any way in relationship in this church. Maybe all you do right now is come on Sunday morning. I'm asking you to take one new step. I suggest a life group. We asked all of you to do a little step this morning when we asked you to write your name on a name tag. Some of you has already taken it off. This church is only as strong as the relationships that bind us together. You will not grow. You will not accomplish everything God's called you to without being in up-close personal relationship with other believers. You won't. I'll tell you an opportunity a lot of you don't know about. I meet with a group of men every Saturday morning at 7 o'clock at Jack's right down the street. Men, ladies, you might not want to come, but men... Your step might be show up next Saturday morning at 7 o'clock and eat a biscuit and drink some coffee and let's talk about Jesus, what it means to follow Him. We laugh, we tell jokes, we talk about football, but we also talk about the Word and about Jesus and we pray for each other every Saturday morning. Can I tell you, this is my conviction, everybody in this church needs that kind of relationship somewhere in your church experience where you're up close and personal and you know when you ask somebody to pray for you, not only do they love you and hurt with you, but they will pray. And they will pray until an answer comes. You need those kinds of people that you have a relationship with. And my heart for this church is that everybody here has at least two or three of those people in this church that you can go to like that. And they'll tell you the truth when you're screwing up. And they'll hold you accountable if you've got a besetting sin you're struggling with. You can't quit drinking. You can't quit porno. They'll, 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 they'll stand in there with you and they'll hold you accountable and love you through it. Don't be a gimpy-legged zebra. So here's what I'm asking. If you're willing just to take one new step, I want you to get out of your seat, walk down and pick one of these up and stand with me. I'm going to pray for you. Come on. You're just willing to take one new step. Not, not, and just stand there. Don't leave. Just stand there, but let other people get to the cords. Pass them down. Here, I'll throw some all the way over here so y'all ain't got to wait. Here you go. There you go. Here you go. This is a commitment before God now. This isn't a gimmick. This is you saying before God, I'm going to take one new step at relationship in this body. Come on. Let people come in behind you. Come on. Let, make a way right down this aisle right here. Let these people come. Billy, step up and let these people behind you. Come on. There's plenty here. I tell you, let's go ahead and pray. If you ain't actually got one in your hand, but you're coming, you can grab one as soon as we pray, okay? Would you just, would you just hold this cord up? Just hold it up. People in the balcony, just hold your hand up. If you plan on coming, get in the cord, just hold your hand up. 
Hold your hand up if you're with us, okay? Hold your hand up. Would you just pray for yourself and say, God, guide me. Guide me to people. Help me connect with people I've, I don't maybe even know yet. Guide me to people I can bless. Guide me to people I can pray for with faith. Guide me to people in this house, in this, in this group of people called Lake City that God I can support and I can encourage and I can challenge and maybe I can even teach and counsel. Lord, guide me to people. God, I'm willing to take one new step. Lord, I'll go to a Bible study at Jack's. I'll go to a life group. Lord, I'll get involved in Sunday school on Sunday. Lord, I will get involved in the men's or the women's meetings. Lord, I'll go to youth group. I'll get involved in Rangers or Impact Girls. Lord, I want a relationship, not an attendance arrangement. I want support and I'm willing to not only have the privilege of being supported and loved, I'm willing to take the responsibility to give it back. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, give me divine appointments with people here. And I'll know in my spirit, God, that you have brought us together for mutual support and encouragement. Lord, I want to display the love of Jesus in this body of people called Lake City. I want to be part of that testimony to our community. My, how they love one another. I want to be part of that so that they will know that you're for real, Jesus. Thank you. I look forward to your guidance. Now, how many of you, you know there's a step you're going to take? Just, just... Wave at me. Do it this way. You know there's a certain step. You already know what you're going to take. Okay, good, good. The rest of you keep praying. God's going to guide you. He's going to guide you. Father, I pray a blessing on this house. Not this building. We're a house. We are the household of God. And I pray a blessing on this house. I pray peace. I pray blessing. I pray power. I pray grace, mercy, patience, understanding, gentleness, goodness, kindness, hope. Lord, we pray that on this house of people. <clears throat> and we ask you, give us the desire and the motivation to clean up, throw up if necessary. In your name, amen. God bless you. Love one another.